Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, an uh, early episode of Yolitics coming at you on, uh, on Monday here because there's some big political news in the state, Jason. Yep, sometimes the events dictate uh, and we move the calendar accordingly. And in this case, it is that the race, the race is finally joined. We have uh, a race now, huh? We do. Well, I mean, we've had a race for a while, but it's all been on the right. Uh, we've got a couple of primary candidates uh, going after uh, Governor Abbott and his own party there. Uh, but everybody has been waiting and wondering who is going to be the big Democratic challenger. And two names in particular keep on bubbling to the surface. Uh, one of them more than the other. Uh, that, those, of course, being uh, Matthew McConaughey and Beto O'Rourke. I think a lot of people had expected um, Beto to run. Uh, but then I think that there have been a lot of uh, people who are thinking, well, obviously he's not because he wouldn't have waited this long. But here we are, uh, November the 15th, and uh, he has announced that, yeah, he's in it. And we're going to speak to Beto in a moment. I want to ask him about his favorite beer choice, but what are you drinking today, Wheeler? Uh, I am, I hate to say this, you know how usually I, I have all of these beers in the refrigerator that just show up and I don't really know how they got there? Today I had the opposite effect for the first time where I went to the refrigerator thinking that I knew of like three or four that I might want to have. There was one solitary beer left in there and it's one of these garage beers again. Dude. I don't know what happened to all the others. You, yeah. <laughs> Who so the elf them? that keeps bringing these to me apparently got thirsty at some oh point. Oh my gosh. I'm having weird the, stuff. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a lager, right? It, it is. I think it is. Yeah, it is. I'm having the, uh, this is a, a Kolsch. It's uh, 1980. Huh. It's by... Okay. No label brewing company in uh, in Katy, which is on the west side of of, of Houston or Houston, Very as nice. you say. Well, shame on both of us for not having an El Paso or West Texas beer. We are going to have to get out there and, and yeah. represent and maybe actually go on the road uh, and do one of those because, uh, you know, I used to live in El Paso. It's a great city. You, you've lived uh, everywhere, man. But before, before I, it feels that way. Yeah. Before not a get, lot of stability in the Wheeler household, <laughs> especially in the refrigerator. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. B- before we before we uh, speak to the former congressman here, j- just, you know, we started hearing last Thursday that an mm-hmm. announcement was imminent by uh, by Beto O'Rourke on Friday and Saturday. I think I talked to four or five people and they said um, uh, these are Democratic officials, not campaign officials who would work for Beto. But these are people inside the Democratic Party. They said that, yeah, it's going to happen. Beto's going to announce. And then on Sunday we get a call and somebody said, hey, you you know why I'm calling, right? I said, "I, I think I do. And then he said, well, would you like to interview Beto in the morning? And we said, heck yeah. He said, well, Beto wants to be on Yolitics. So that's how we got Beto on Yolitics. Name recognition. I'm glad we're known out in West Texas, man. We have an audience in El Paso, evidently, at least an audience of one. Hey, you know what? We'll take an audience of one. It's a beginning. Uh, And again, we need to get out there uh, on a road trip. So with no further ado, uh, let's jump right in uh, because, you know, a lot of people 
on all sides of the aisle, uh, left, right, and middle, have been waiting to figure out who this is going to be. Uh, because again, now the battle is fully joined here. Uh, so let's get Beto O'Rourke on the line and uh, get into this. You've had two other, uh, obviously, high-profile campaigns uh, for U.S. Senate in 2018, for president in 2020. Some political observers, I know you probably think the same thing. You've, you've got to win this time. Uh, clearly, you wanted to win the other two uh, as well. But what was the point, Congressman, where you decided, OK, I am getting in? What, what was the turning point you saw happen in this state where you said, I'm running for governor? You know, it's for me, it's really about listening to people in, in this state and hearing what they want to do and what their expectations are and thinking through how I can best serve them and be part of something that would be successful for Texas. And so I made the decision to run for governor and and to run to see if we can't help bring the people of Texas together and and get focused on the big things that that most of us want to work on and see Texas achieve. Like, you know, great example is making sure that the best jobs in America are being created here in Texas or that our kids and Amy and I have three of them in the El Paso public schools that our kids can count on a world class education or that we make progress on things that most of us will agree on, like expanding Medicaid so that everyone can see a doctor and be well enough to, to reach their full potential. So, uh, you know, th- that's that's the positive uh, vision that, that we, the people of Texas, have. And I think it gets us past the small vision and divisive politics of Greg Abbott that, you know, has Texas focused on which middle school girls can play which sports or this abortion ban that includes a $10,000 bounty on the heads of Texas women or these permitless gun laws that police chiefs across the state uh, begged the governor not to sign because it allows any Texan without a background check or any training whatsoever to carry a loaded weapon in, in public. We wanna get back to the big things, jobs, schools, uh, the ability to see uh, a doctor and we want to be able to count on our government you know when you when you flick the light switch the lights should turn on the heat should run the water should be able to flow and we need the the competence and the vision and the focus on the people of Texas. And I think that's what together we can do. Congressman, you ticked off some of the uh, controversial things there that have been tied to uh, Governor Abbott here in the past several months. Uh, A lot of people in in your party have been antsy about this. They've been on pins and needles saying, hey, we're missing the the chance to go on the attack here uh, with some of these issues. We need a candidate. Uh, What was it that made you wait until now to say, I'm in this? I don't know that it there was a, a matter of waiting. Um, I think it's a more, more a function of making sure that we, we do this right and that we do this with and for and by the, the people of Texas. So um, putting the team together, um, ensuring that, that we're ready for this. And then this is personal, but, but really important to me. Um, we've got three little kids in this house and um, and we've got a, a great family that has just spent like probably your family and families across the state. The better part of the last two years, a really tough two years together. And I wanted to make sure that all of us were good uh, with with doing that. And so we're, we're at a point where we can run this campaign and run it well and run it for the right reasons. And we should remember there is there's almost a full year yet to go. Uh, and so there, there is plenty of time to make the case and plenty of time to bring people together. 
and plenty of good people out there who want to be part of it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This, this is the right time. Congressman, let's go back to your last campaign, 2020, uh, the presidential campaign. And, and everyone remembers, uh, a lot of people remember, I don't know if everyone does, but a lot of people in this state remember the comment you made about guns saying, uh, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. For context for our listeners, the comment came right after the El Paso shooting uh, at the Walmart there off of Interstate 10. You told me before, Congressman, you do not regret making that comment. So if elected, what kind of changes to gun laws would you like to see here in Texas? I I think most of us in Texas agree that we shouldn't have to worry about our our family members or our friends or neighbors being shot up with weapons that were designed for use on a battlefield. And I also think most of us agree that the extreme gun laws Abbott has signed, including a permitless carry bill that um, would allow anyone to carry a firearm, including the 35,000 Texans who'd been denied a license to carry or would have their license to carry revoked, or the tens of thousands more who knew better than to request one because law enforcement would have probably denied it. They know that we can't have those kind of extreme policies. So let's let's end permitless carry. Let's move forward with the things that most of us can agree on, like a universal background check or an extreme risk protection order, or my friend Rhonda Hart, who lost her daughter in the Santa Fe High School shooting, she recommends that we have safe storage laws um, in in our state. Um, we we are a a proud gun owning people here in Texas, and like most of my fellow Texans, I grew up in in a household with guns, and I grew up learning the responsibility of owning and using a firearm. And in my case, from my great uncle Raymond, who was an El Paso County Sheriff's deputy and jail captain, he's the one who taught us how to shoot. So let's use that knowledge and that experience and make sure that we protect the Second Amendment and also protect the lives of our fellow Texans. I I think we can do that. I know we can do that. Uh, Even before you decided to run, you've probably seen this. Governor Abbott put out this sort of cartoonish uh, looking video, uh, you know, taking aim at you. And one of the things in there uh, was that he was trying to tie you to the Green New Deal. And I'm just curious what you would say about a Beto O'Rourke administration to all of the people who are working in oil and natural gas in, in this state or who are touched by that. My administration will be focused on protecting jobs and increasing the number of high-paying, high-value, high-skilled jobs in the state of Texas. And that begins with our energy industry. Those oil and gas workers in this state, whether they're in South Texas or closer to where I am, in West Texas, um, whether they're working out of uh, you know Houston, Texas, um, they've helped to make the country energy independent from the rest of the world. They literally are helping to power our lives. And they've been the source of so much innovation and ingenuity that has created so much wealth and opportunity in Texas. And I wanna make sure that we continue to protect that. In fact, I wanna build on that and make sure that as more of the world turns to renewable energy sources, that we find those here in Texas and we capitalize on the experience and expertise of our energy workers in Texas to lead that next revolution in hydrogen energy, geothermal, in wind and in solar. And I wanna make the central focus first and always jobs, the ability to have a great job that pays well 
and gives us all the sense of purpose that we're looking for, we should continue to be the global energy leader. And I will make sure that's a priority if I'm elected governor. Congressman, uh, Governor Abbott has $55 million cash on hand. Let's say he is the uh, Republican nominee for governor you go up against. You, though, are a proven fundraiser, obviously. Two questions here. What do you expect this race might cost um, campaign-wise? And secondly, how do you intend to go about it? Because in 2018, you, you really made a name for going to all 254 counties. So what will the race cost, and, and how do you uh, plan to attack it? It's, it's a good question. I mean, no, none of us know for sure, but but it will likely be one of the most expensive gubernatorial races, certainly in Texas history and, and maybe throughout the country, we are going to really depend on donors from across the state who can chip in five, 10, 15 bucks. And we have a website that we just stood up, BetoForTexas.com. Folks are, are welcome to, to go there and, and, and join us. But I'll, I'll tell you, to, to answer your second question, because I think that gets at the heart of the strategy to win, it will not be money alone, and it probably won't be uh, money primarily that will win this race. It's, it's going to be the people of Texas. In 2018, when we went everywhere, wrote nobody off, took no one for granted, brought everybody in, we also helped to produce the largest voter turnout in the midterms since 1970 and saw extraordinary increases in, for example, young voter turnout, up 500% from the, the 2014 midterm and the only way you do that you, you can't spend enough money to make that happen the only way you you can help to to do that is to show up and meet people where they are and make sure that no one is uh looked over or forgotten and and everyone counts the other thing is we've got to trust our fellow texans you know abbott has shown that he doesn't trust the state he doesn't trust women to make their own decisions about their, their bodies. He doesn't trust police chiefs on the permitless carry law. He doesn't trust voters. And so he's changed the terms and rules of our elections. And he doesn't trust local communities. Look at the county judges who tried to require masks or protect the public health in a pandemic that has cost the lives of 72,000 of our fellow Texans. He prevented them from doing the right thing. He prevented school districts and principals and classroom teachers from protecting the lives of those children in their care. And as of September, Texas led the nation in childhood COVID deaths. That's a direct result of Abbott not listening to and trusting the people of Texas. So in this campaign, I will demonstrate that by showing up, listening, listening and trusting. And as governor, I will make sure that our solutions that we implement, we work on together. And that begins by listening to people where they are in their community. So that's the- Is that, um, is that every, the way- every county again? I'm sorry, Congressman. Are you going to every county again? It sounds like you're going to hit every county. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to every single part of this state. And and you cannot be too uh, big city. You can't be too rural. You can't be too red. You can't be too blue for me and for this campaign. It, it's going to take all of us, all of us to win. And it's going to take all of us to get Texas on the right track. I was going to ask you, how how hard is it, though, to get enough people to the polls? I mean, we haven't elected a Democrat for governor here in more than 30 years uh, in the state of Texas. And now you also have to deal with uh, the changes that have come about because Republicans have pushed forward these uh, tough new voting restrictions here in this state. How do you get enough people uh, to, to get over the finish line with this? I trust Texas and, and I trust the people of Texas. And there are enough of us out there to make the change in Texas that we need. And I'll give you an example. In, in 2020, 
arguably the most important election in our lifetime, and certainly in you know, the life of Texas, there were 7 million eligible Texans who did not cast a ballot. Now, for some of them, it was going to be because of the restrictions in place that, that functionally prevented them from participating. But for others, I think we need to acknowledge they weren't given a compelling reason to participate in, in that election and to help decide the outcome. And so by going everywhere and keeping the focus on the big things, on jobs, on schools, on health care, and getting past the divisive culture war issues that Greg Abbott and those in the legislature that he works with are focused on, like the, the books in, in the library or the athletic teams that your, your daughter can play for, we can get past that stuff and get back to the things that bring us together, then we will also be able to transcend these divisions and and give people a reason to vote. Uh, I want to, to listen to folks and reflect back what is most important to them in this campaign. I think that's how we bring them in. And then there are also a, a lot of voters out there who are probably rethinking their preferences in light of the extremism that they've seen from Abbott and the legislature over this this last year. So many people who cannot believe what Texas is doing when it comes to reproductive health care or when it comes to, to guns or when it comes to the curriculum in our in our schools. Um, they want to be proud of this state. They want to be proud of the decisions that that our state is making. And I want to make sure as governor, we give everyone the ability to do that. If elected governor, it is still likely you'd have to work with a Republican legislature like you just mentioned. How could you effectively do that, though, Congressman, without spiraling Texas down into the, the mess that we see D.C. is in with all that gridlock? I'm so glad you asked this. Um, I was lucky enough to serve on the El Paso City Council for six years, a nonpartisan position. We didn't have D's or R's next to our name. And our sole focus was the community of El Paso and making this city better and listening to our constituents and delivering for them. And we were able to do that. I spent six years in, in Congress, uh, one of the great honors of my life, serving on the Veterans Affairs Committee and going to work for those who put their lives on the line for this country. Uh, Jason, every single one of those years that I was in Congress, I was in the minority with the Republican majority. So I could either give up or I could get to work. And that's what I did. I, I found the common ground proposed legislation, for example, to extend greater mental health care benefits to veterans who were dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injury or the other signature wounds and conditions of service to this country. And I had to compromise on that bill a little bit to get Republican support, but we got that done. We got it passed in the House, a version passed in the Senate, and ultimately had it signed into law by President Trump, someone with whom I agree on almost nothing, but on this we could find enough agreement to get the job done for those that we wanted to serve. I wanna bring that same approach as governor in working with the legislature, Republicans and Democrats alike. I know that both parties wanna see us do better on jobs, wanna see us do better on schools, and wanna see us do better on healthcare. For example, the Medicaid expansion bill that was introduced by Representative Julie Johnson uh, had Republican co-sponsorship and support because they know that Texas has left $100 billion on the table over the last 10 years. It could have been used to get health care and importantly, reduce property tax burden for the local property homeowner because as we, we have more uncompensated care in this state, the, the homeowner is getting squeezed. Let's bring that money in and make sure that we, we take care of everybody in the state. These are common sense, common ground positions 
that I think we can build agreement on and make progress on. I'm going to close this out on a, on a lighter note here, Congressman, because a lot of people have just been obsessing about this. People of all political stripes, uh, you know, as they play this game of who's going to run. And your name, of course, has been uh, floating out there. And so has Matthew McConaughey's. And, and so I've got to ask, did you all talk? Uh, was there a discussion? Who's going to go? Who's going to do it? No, no, I, I haven't spoken to him in, in, in quite a while. But, but let me say this. Um, you know, when when we had that awful shooting in El Paso in 2019, uh, Matthew McConaughey and his wife and his family uh, came to our community to lend their support. Um, after the winter storm and the failure of our power grid, you know, he helped to raise money for the people of, of this state. Um, this this is someone who loves Texas and has done a lot of great work for for this state. So I just, you know, sometimes people will will. Uh, create drama or friction where, where none exists. Uh, I, I just want to say that, um, you know, wh- whatever Matthew decides to do, I'm sure he will, he will do or for the best interests of Texas. Um, but what, what I've got to focus on is what I'm able to do and, and how I can be, uh, you know, best able to support and serve the people of this state. And for me, that is making this decision to run and to run in the right way, to try to bring people together and to serve everyone, all of us in, in the state of Texas. So that's what we're focused on. And it's it's an exciting big day uh, for all of us who are part of this campaign. And I'm grateful to you all for giving me a chance to, to talk with you and to connect with your, your listeners and viewers and looking forward to seeing you all in person before too long. Congressman, before we let you go, on Yolitics here, we have a beer all the time. We haven't been out to West Texas in a hot minute, but but what are the uh, local beers we should be trying out in uh, in West Texas and El Paso? You know, there, there there are a few to choose from. Um, I, I might uh, commend you to Dead Beach Brewery. Hmm. Um, they, they've got a great IPA um, that, that I'm a, that I'm a big fan of. Uh, if you can get it on draft, um, that's probably the best way to do it. So um, I don't know if they're selling that in in North Texas yet. If not, we welcome you to El Paso to, to try it here. Okay, the road uh, with us. a road trip is on the books. We'll do this in person next time. I love it. Congressman, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Have a good one. So Wheeler, uh, Beto likes IPAs, evidently, like you. He does. I don't. You I know thought that. You, have, you have all these fruity beers and IPAs and double stouts. You know that. And- no, the problem is I keep having IPAs in search of the one that I'm actually maybe going to like. Uh, you know, they're, they're okay. I just, I, I'm just not an IPA guy. But, you know, if we go out to El Paso, of yeah. course, I'll try one. Yeah, I, I love El Paso. You lived there for a while. It just, it's just a great place. It's gorgeous with the mountains, with the people uh, are happier there. They really are. And I'm not kidding. And, you know, it's the safest city or at least it was for a long time, the mm-hmm. safest city in the U.S., um, which is somewhat of a, a paradox. Many people think because the international border is right there and the city of Juarez right. is, was one of the most dangerous in the world. Beautiful but, mountains, too. And yeah. the sky is bigger there. Go it there is. and look. It feels like the sky is bigger. No, I, th- I think you're right about that, especially when you're up on the uh, on the mountains in the past there. L- let's get some more context on this from another journalist who I don't think we've ever had uh, this guy on our podcast. His name is Jonathan Tylove, and Jonathan uh, is a former uh, political uh, correspondent reporter for the Austin American Statesman. Jonathan yeah. also is the um, is the author of the Texas Monthly article, and his article initially broke the news 
that Beto was running. Jonathan is a uh, he's a freelance guy now. He writes for Texas Monthly and a number of other um, uh, publications as well when called upon. Well, what was your biggest takeaway? You covered him in 2018. You covered him in 2020. How tough is this race going to be for him? Um, well, I think it's going to be very tough, um, sort of probably tougher than the it's, it's hard to say tougher than the 2018 race because no one gave him any chance of winning. The difference there was that he was a an unknown quantity to most Texans. He was able to kind of present himself based on his really likable personality and freshness. And it was also two years into Trump. So there was a lot of reaction against that. So even though um, the odds on that were very long, there were things uh, working in his favor. This time there's a lot of things um, working against him, uh, you know, primarily the fact that uh, we're two years into a Biden administration. Biden's very unpopular in Texas. Right. And it's never good to be uh, as, as a Democrat running when there's a Democrat in the White House in Texas. Well, does he does he have a shot at victory considering that? I mean, you know, he, he's running against the odds. I mean, that's that's what he's always done. Yeah. And I think I think the advantage he has here uh, over the Senate run is I think uh, Greg Abbott's had a very, very tough um, couple of years. Uh, Texas has been through the pandemic and through the uh, February freeze and the failure of the grid. Those are kind of spectacular events that are very memorable. And I don't think uh, I think on the, the grid that was a disaster, obviously, and an embarrassment for Governor Abbott, for which there's not a great explanation. And then um, the pandemic, I think, um, you know, the governor's kind of zigged and zagged and ended up with people unhappy with him on every side of that issue. So I think when you run against uh, someone for Senate, people don't have the kind of gritty sense of how this affects them personally. Whereas with the, the governor and those events, I think everyone in Texas experienced those in some way that they have an opinion about. So I think that's his advantage is that this time he has a very tangible target. And I think this time, you know, I asked him, people criticized him last time for not going negative on Cruz because I think he had his vibe and his brand was sort of positive. But I think now it'll be entirely focused on Abbott and his record. And I think there's, you know, there's power in that. Yeah, the governor is certainly vulnerable, too, because uh, these things are not lost on Texas voters. We saw the, the latest uh, UT uh, uh, poll there out of Tyler showing that the majority yeah. of Texans say that the state's headed in the wrong direction. Uh, so so there are vulnerabilities there for a sitting governor. Uh, I wanted to ask you, have you noticed a change in the candidate, though? Uh, because Jason and I both uh, noted a few changes uh, in, in how um, Congressman O'Rourke is putting himself forward forward it seems like a more controlled on yeah. message uh more of a sober tone i mean i know we're early on in this no 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 and i i had exactly the same take now again you're right it's hard to judge from you know a brief encounter on the eve of announcing but there was enormous message discipline here this is not the beto who you just sort of hang out with and talk about whatever you want to talk about and he'll give answers on things that candidates don't usually say anything about this was very uh, on message. And again, I think it's because he's running against an incumbent governor and he's got um, the points he wants to make. He's going to drive them home. And I think he realizes that it, 
to the extent that he leaves a vacuum, um, the Abbott campaign already is going to just spend the rest of the, the remainder of the next year um, driving home a negative image, uh, sort of his uh, more extreme comments. And, you know, I saw Ted Cruz tweeted today a reprise of his jingle, uh, you know, if you run in Texas, you can't be a liberal man. His mm -hmm. that, you know, so there's going to be piling on, and I think an attempt to caricature Beto. And I think he's his response is exactly as you said, a very sober and disciplined candidate, which is clearly against at least the discipline part against type. And Jonathan, one of the most uh, controversial things Beto has said, which I think will be a target, is the uh, hell yes, we're coming for your guns, your AR-15, your right. AK-47 in the 2020 presidential race. He, he explained it away to us saying that, you know, obviously he grew up in a, 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 a house with guns and he gave us specifics. I'm sure he did you, you as well about uh, things he would like to see change specifically uh, rolling back the permitless carry and then universal background checks, which even, you know, uh, universal background checks, I believe something Dan Patrick has uh, said that he supports after the El Paso shooting. My question is, can, how hard is that going to be to, to get out from under that? Uh, for Beto? Well, people will, <clears throat> you know, there'll be t-shirts, jingles, whatever. That's going to be in people's faces from now until next November. Um, but I think, I think the advantage or the way he deals with that is the fact that permitless carry is not something that people thought was in the realm of possibility a couple of years ago. And it's not something most Texans support. So I think his response is, okay, maybe I'm a little bit further left than a lot of Texans are on this, but Greg Abbott is way to the right of where most Texans are. So it's going to be, you know, which is a more balanced approach. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know that he ever was seriously talking about going door to door and taking people's weapons. I think he was reacting to what happened in El Paso and kind of the, the fallout, the very personal and emotional fallout of that. So I don't think he's going to be pushing that, but I do think that that at, at this point it would probably be a mistake for him to um, to reverse course because that would look like he's just going where which way the wind blows. But I do think that um, that he that that Abbott and uh, state Republicans have gone much further to the right than people are used to, and that that gives him some, you know, some ground that he may be able to gain in the center. Jonathan, I think there's a wild card here, too, with Beto O'Rourke. And that is that in these years after, you know, he lost those two races that he ran for, he's been working in retail politics. He has been going door to door. He has been reaching out to voters and signing voters up. And, you know, there's contact information that gets exchanged in those things. How important is that for laying the groundwork for an improbable run in a state that hasn't elected a Democratic governor in three decades uh, to, to actually be getting, getting out there and knocking on doors, shaking hands and taking down that contact info? Yeah, I think I think. Yeah, I think that's been time very well spent. And I get the impression that even people who, when he started uh, Power by People, that, you know, oh, this is, where is this going to go? That he has put together a good organization. Um, I think he's good at that. I mean, I think he's devoted himself to that. At the same time, I think the state Republicans are very good at it and proved it in, you know, in uh, 2020 when, um, you know, after sort of being back on their heels in 2018 when Beto ran, they 
came through and they, you know, I think Democrats felt like, hey, we, we really turned out our vote this time. It, what they didn't expect was uh, Republicans to turn out voters they had never seen before. So I do think that that, that does uh, equip him in some ways for this, but I, I think it's a mistake to think that he can necessarily outdo what Republicans do in Texas. What are you expecting to see in the next six months uh, or so? Obviously, Governor Abbott has to get to the primary first. He'll probably have to spend some money there. Um, but but how, how vicious do you, do you expect this to be? Well, vicious, uh, yeah, pretty vicious. <laughs> I, would, I would say pretty vicious. I mean, you know, the thing, that, the thing um, that surprised me a little bit about Governor Abbott is I don't think he actually had a real threat of not being renominated, but he has responded as if he was on the verge of, of defeat and, you know, basically complied with almost everything that Don Huffines has demanded. And he's become much Trumpier post-Trump than he was when Trump was president. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, once he dispatches that, he and even before then, they will be, you know, tearing uh, Beto apart. And I think that this time, I think Beto's much more prepared to to go on the attack. So I think it's going to be a a much more a tougher race than the the Cruz one, which essentially was at that point kind of a him as a phenomenon and Cruz as a kind of character caricature. But I think this time it's going to be I think it's going to be very um, rough. And mm-hmm. I think that um, you know at this point you you have two very polarizing figures running in in a very polarized moment. In, in Texas and national politics. Jonathan, that point that you make about uh, Governor Abbott is one that we've heard so many times from people who are just confounded uh, by the move to the right uh, to deal with primary challengers when he is widely expected to still get the nomination. And you make that point uh, very well in, in your article uh, talking about does he lose the middle uh, because of that. And I have to finish by asking you about that article. Everybody's been trying to get Beto O'Rourke to go on the record and be the first one out with it because a lot of us anticipated this. You were the one who did it, though. What was what's the secret sauce there? How does how does that come about that you're first in the queue and, and, and you get it out there first? What did you do differently? Oh, well, <laughs> come on. Tell us. Tell us the trick. No, no, no. no I think I. Jonathan knows people. He knows. No, 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 people. I think I've got a, a, you know, I covered him. I think I've got a good rapport with him. But I also think Texas Monthly is a, is a good venue. And I think a Q&A is an attractive kind of way to go because it's less about the reporter telling you what to think than it is just letting him say what he wants to say. So I think mm-hmm. it was it was those a combination of things. So, um, yeah. <laughs> did you did you hedge your bets there, though, and, and, and have a voicemail in with Matthew McConaughey as well? I mean, <laughs> could have happened. McConaughey gonna, is, is McConaughey running or is that just I, you is know, that, is I, that no, I, I, I assume. I assume not. It's just funny because, you know, Beto got in all trouble for when he when he ran for president. The thing that really undid him was that uh, was it Vanity Fair cover where he said uh, I was born to be in this. And you've got Matthew McConaughey saying, I don't know if I'm going to run because I'm a poet, uh, you know, whatever, (laughs) explorer, adventurer, you know, and it's like, man, you can get away with that. Yeah. You're Matthew McConaughey, but maybe Matthew McConaughey will play Beto in the movie about this race. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's a good uh, one. Well played. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh-huh. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations again yeah. on, on the, uh, the the Q&A article that, uh, that you guys broke this good morning. Good scoop. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks very much, and it's great to see you. Thanks, Jonathan. So interesting thing, Jason, um, uh, we kind of had the same takeaways and, you know, we don't plan this stuff. We don't talk to Jonathan ahead of time like, hey, what there are you going to There is no say? planning that goes into any of this, man. Zero. <laughs> we, uh, we never even talk to each other about what we're going to do. That's right. why we both start at the same time every time we begin one of these. Uh, interesting, though, that all three of us had the same takeaway here in that we are seeing what looks like a more buttoned up Beto O'Rourke. And I don't mean buttoned up as in dressed up because he's a very casual guy in that way. Buttoned up, though, in the sense that he is on messaging. He seems like he knows what he wants to say right out of the gates here and just seems a, a little bit more polished. And you, you don't see, you know, it, it, before he was almost there was almost so much energy that he almost almost seem to be bouncing. You don't see that with him, but you see a conviction there and you see just more of a a subdued, sober candidate uh, trying to get a message across here. And I loved the way Jonathan put it, that this is not the Beto O'Rourke that you'd sort of hang out with. Yeah, Beto seems like a much more disciplined candidate this time. And Jonathan mentioned something that's very important. In the 2018 run that Beto made against Ted Cruz, remember, Beto did not want to go negative, and he didn't go negative until the final four or five days before the actual election in November. And that's when he went negative. By that point, it was a lot of people thought it was too late. So the mm-hmm. fact that, that Beto, in our conversation here, you know, a year out, is taking the fight directly to Governor Abbott right now, being critical of, of his handling of the uh, power grid, the February freeze, going after books and libraries, just, you know, hitting him on, on everything, the voting rights, which is something Beto has has uh, advocated, uh, you know, on for, for so long as well. That's surprising. And I think that just reinforces the fact that he's he, he's learned lessons and this mm-hmm. is a different candidate. I was going to say the third time, you know, uh, he's hoping will be the charm here. And once you've been through this, you've been through this crucible two times before you have to pick up things. You have to learn from those experiences. And it appears that he learned from those experiences that you've got to pin someone's record on them and go after that record. If you're going after an incumbent over and over and over again and be on the attack from day one. And that's exactly what we've seen. I mean, it was right out of the gates in his Twitter video that announced his candidacy. He was going right at it. So this is, you know, when we say the battle is joined, it's a battle uh, and we're going to see it play out over these next 12 months. It'll be interesting to see if this version of Beto O'Rourke uh, is uh, more successful because of that. And no doubt. And, and remember that Abbott has still has to go through the primary campaign. Abbott is still likely going to get pulled to the right when he because he has to run against uh, Chad Prather, Don Huffines mm-hmm. and Alan West. Mm-hmm. So my guess is you'll still see Abbott pulled to the right. The question is, will he come back to the center and, and how close to the center will he get? At the end of the day, it is still going to be a huge challenge, up, you know, an uphill climb to defeat Abbott. Abbott has fifty five million dollars in the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. Beto could easily, I think, I don't want to put, you know, I don't want to go too far. But I think based on what he did in 2018, I think mm-hmm. Beto could probably easily match that. But when mm-hmm. you have one hundred million dollars plus into a race, uh, if it gets that high, it, it, you can imagine how vicious and voracious that will be with each campaign hitting each other. 
Get ready, folks. Uh, you're going to see this battle play out, and you're going to see it right there in your living room because those ads are going to be flying day and night uh, as we go through the months ahead. It will be interesting to see if this becomes the most expensive gubernatorial race in the country's history, not just yeah. in state history. There is a possibility we could get there. So just be ready for the ads there. Uh, as always, uh, we want to thank you for listening to this early uh, episode of Yolitics. Let us know what you think. Give us your thoughts. Uh, and subscribe while you're here because, again, these next 12 months are going to be crazy busy. You never know when we're going to drop an extra episode or an early one. But if you're subscribed, it comes right to you. 